Last week we spent our time in 1 Corinthians 12, and in so doing, I would imagine that each of us left here, I hope, with a, a better, richer, deeper understanding of the reality that as the title suggests, the body needs its individual parts. I walked you through, really, a medical or a physiological description of many of the organs of the body, the systems of the body, and how those systems are not autonomous, that they're interdependent. Each system plays its role. Each system has its purposes. And in many cases, the individual systems serve each other. They're interdependent. And so that metaphor, then, that Paul uses in the Word of God is used quite effectively to help us understand, therefore, the interdependence of the body, the members of the body. By the way, where do we get the concept of membership? We get it from the word member. The reason that there is such a thing as membership within the body of Christ is that there are members within the body. And so one of the great responsibilities of a shepherding team, a a group of men who would shepherd the flock, is that they would shepherd people in an organized way, at least with enough organization, that they can actually minister to the individual members of the body in such a way that that interdependence is helpful for everyone involved. I don't think it's any secret, really, that for you to be involved in an organization that keeps absolutely no records on your life, wants nothing to do, the right spelling of your name, uh, is not interested at all in helping you through the difficult details of life and rejoicing with you in those things where you are honored, that that really is not an organization that has much interest in you. The body needs you And therefore, as you move further down in 1 Corinthians 12, you see that list of offices or roles that leaders hold. We won't get into that part of 1 Corinthians 12 today. We eventually will. But it's important for you to understand that those who are shepherding you, those who are involved in your life from a leadership perspective, are primarily involved in your life from a serving perspective. That's why we call it servant Leadership. Servant leadership is far different from secular leadership. Secular leadership simply exercises control over people's lives. But leadership in the church is a matter of exhibiting an example before people that shows a willingness to serve, to be humble, to engage in people's lives in a sacrificial way. And so last week, as we looked at this, we, of course, read to you, and you have it there in your bulletin again this week, and I want to repeat it again, what we refer to typically as a so that statement. You might get to the end of a a preaching message and and say, well, so what? (laughs) We're trying to avoid that happening by giving you that so that statement so you can say, oh, I know so what. The so what's in the so that. The so that went like this. We hope to be motivated by the Holy Spirit to faithfully, be faithful, right? Going to operate believingly. That's what faithfully means. You're trusting in the Lord, so it's faithful involvement. Faithfulness is not so much the activity as it is the right heart attitude that leads to the activity. So you want to do it faithfully. You want to do it joyously. The person who does what he does out of strict obligation is not doing what he's doing out of joy or with a joyous heart. And effectively, you want your involvement in the body of Christ to be something that the body of Christ looks back on months from now, years from now, decades from now, and can say, yeah, that mattered. You weren't just spinning your wheels. You weren't just going through the motions. You weren't just doing something that someone asked you to do. The result of your involvement, the result of your joyous and faithful service to the body was that people were growing spiritually. In fact, people who thought they were Christians and weren't, got saved. But the body was built up. The body was strengthened as a result of what you did. And all those things worked together, joyous, faithful, effective involvement in the earthly body of Christ so that there will be no division in our church and we will all care for each other. There should be no division in our local body. None. None. Not in the most private corners of your heart should there be even the remotest hint or shadow of any division between you and another member of the body of Christ. You say, that's unrealistic. I say it's supernatural. 
I say it's supernatural. It's the command of the scripture. And so, of course, that won't happen. And so if you're looking at this concept through the grid of a secular mindset, well, I've never seen that happen. I, I grew up in the church, and I never saw that. Well, I would say, you know, maybe your experience has some value, but it by no means supersedes the reality of what the scripture dictates. It should happen. It can happen. And it is a sense dependent upon the individual members of the body. For us to be in proper working order means that every member of the body needs to be faithful, joyous, and effective in the body. And so point number one was the body needs you because these three subpoints. The body needs you because, letter A, every member is important to the body's life. It's true in your physical body, and so the illustration or the metaphor that we see in that picture is intended to apply to the body of Christ. The body needs you because, letter A, every member is important to the body's life. Every member. Letter B, you need the body because this is God's design and His doing. Letter C, the body needs you because body unity requires proper working diversity. And so... The body needs you, but you need the body. Point number two, you need the body. Now this flies utterly in the face of what it means to be a patriotic American. You know? You need you. You just kind of, you be the man. You know, everything that you see in advertising today focuses on you being number one, you being in charge, you having a higher self-esteem, you thinking more of yourself because you've got it going on. You're in charge. You know, you're the guy that everybody looks to at work. You're the one that you know, really everybody depends upon, but you don't depend on anybody. See, that, why is that so popular in our culture? Because of the depraved nature of the human heart. See, God's design is interdependence. God's design, holy design, righteous design, is interdependence. But you say, no man, I got it. I don't need help from the church. Wrong. Absolutely wrong. That's absolutely one of the most selfish things you could possibly ever think. Because what you're saying is as ridiculous as the hand saying, I don't need the rest of the body. You ever seen a hand walking around by itself? The hand needs the body, the body needs the hand. The body needs you, but you need the body. It's point number two. You need the body, letter A, because no body part can survive without the body. It won't survive. Members will die without the body and its other members. Speaking of the, the human body, it's missing a member. Eventually that problem results in problems amongst the whole body and pretty soon the whole body dies. Verses 20 and 21 here in 1 Corinthians 12. As it is, there are many parts. You know that. There are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Can you imagine? The eye saying to the hand, I don't, I don't need you. Personally in my life, my eye needs my hand to get stuff out of it. And there are other manifestations of why the eye needs the hand that you could think of yourself. But that's just one practical and and readily available reality that you understand when you think of your own human body. But somehow we separate ourselves from this physical metaphor at the point where we want something other than what the scripture explains. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. You say, well, the feet, I mean, the feet aren't really all that important, are they? They hold the rest of the body up. I mean, isn't the head a whole lot more important than the feet? Where's the head going to go without its feet? Um, feet, you, you know, you stay here and take care of, you know, what feet do. I got some things, I'll be back and we'll, you know, no. It's a together work, always interdependent upon each other. On April 11th, 2007, a veterinarian at the Shaoshan Zoo in the southern city of Kaohsiung, Taiwan, attempted to retrieve a tranquilizer dart 
from the 440 pound crocodile's hide in the zoo so he could give it medication. Evidently, the reptile was not yet quite anesthetized and severed Chang Po Yu's forearm from his body. I've seen a picture of that man's arm in the crocodile's mouth. And that man was not in the picture. Just his arm. Hanging out of the crocodile's mouth. You probably have heard something along these lines before uh, where someone, someone has been severed from the body. And in that severance from the body, it's that abnormal. It's that obvious. You look and you say, calls himself a Christian, wants nothing to do with Christians. Calls himself part of the body, but has nothing to do with the body. The death of every human body begins with the failure of one of its organs or severance of one of its organs. In some cases, other members compensate, right? Talked to you about Johnny Erickson Tata last week. From the shoulders up, everything compensated for everything else that was completely debilitated and still is now some four decades later. And the effectiveness that she has had in the body of Christ is not strictly the result of the rest of her body compensating for now a massive quadriplegic disability. But the rest of the body of Christ undergirded her and now she in turn undergirds them. Has for many, many years. Without the other members, the organ, the limb, the cell will all die and eventually the body will die. In 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 10, Peter gives us some insight into the spiritual reality behind this. When a member of the body thinks that he doesn't need the body, Peter says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. But too often, within the body of Christ, there are those who experience trial. And what's the first thing they do? They abandon the church. What's the second thing they do? They turn to their biological family. All too often, that's how it goes. And you say, what's wrong with turning to your family? And I say, well, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you've abandoned the body of Christ and turned to your family, that says something about your family. And if you're the man, it says something about your leadership of your family. Yeah, you should turn to your family. That's part of why God created families. But the body of Christ cannot be severed from its members, particularly in an instance where something has gone awry. Many times people will turn to their biological families only for solace in the midst of the reality that the body of Christ is attempting to do something valuable and they reject that. Well, I'll go to my family because they love me no matter what. Is that love? Proverbs 5.22 says, His own iniquities will capture the wicked and he will be held with the cords of sin. Too often those who are enmeshed in their sin are so unwilling to be around the body of Christ because the body of Christ is calling them to holiness. The family of the body of Christ is calling them to reject their sin, to repent of their sin. But instead, what do they do? They run to those who would give affirmation of their sin. That's not always how it works, but many times it does. But you know this. Satan masquerades as an angel of light. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. But as with the human body, there being many parts, yet one body, the eye really being unable to say with any honesty, I have no need of you. The same is true in the body of Christ. You cannot honestly say, I have no need of the body. And watch what happens when someone does that. Many times it takes a spiritual spiraling down, you know, thinking they're autonomous, thinking they got it going on all on their own, and eventually they come to the end of, the end of themselves. And I just want to tell you that that needs to happen. Every believer needs to come to the end of himself. 
I believe that in the moment that a person is saved, it is because he has come to the end of himself. But too often he forgets that he came to the end of himself and thinks that he has somehow achieved his salvation. He chose Christ. He initiated the relationship. It was his doing. So surely he can maintain some kind of involvement apart from the body of Christ. We just went through the book of Galatians and you saw that that's what legalism really boils down to. One's ability to achieve things on his own spiritually. He initiates his spiritual life. He maintains his spiritual life. That's legalism. And everything he does in the body, he does for show. And in some sense, he does to appease his conscience and to win God's favor. But the opposite of legalism is operating by faith, resting in the gospel. You want to do the work you do because of the work that Christ has done. You're not trying to achieve anything for the Lord or for anybody else. You're only trying to be faithful. You're trying to do it with joy and you want to be effective in other people's lives. But friends, you've got to understand. I've got to understand in those moments where I think that I somehow can operate on my own. We've got to understand that the body part will not survive without the body. There's nothing simpler than this. And there's nothing more attainable for you and for me with regard to understanding things that are spiritual. Why do I say that? Because of the metaphor that Paul chose. Years ago, I was working as a, a computer analyst in an engineering firm. And when it got late at night, and the folks who were supposed to be cutting the CAD drawings uh, were not there at work anymore. We had to kind of fill in and do that. So I had a razor blade, and uh, I wasn't accustomed to doing this, and it was late at night. And I remember one night I was you know, sliding the razor blade, sliding the razor blade, sliding it this way, sliding it this way, and after about nine or ten times, I slid that thing right through my thumb. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. Well, by God's grace, I was able to keep that thumb. But had I completely severed it, and it hadn't been reattached... The reality is that that thumb would have died. I wouldn't have use of it. And if I hadn't gotten attention for the rest of my body, infection would have found its way to my heart and eventually I would have stopped breathing. My heart would have stopped beating and there'd be no more life there. I talked to you last week a little bit, um, actually a lot, about the interdependence of the human body. And I mentioned my friend who had lost his spleen years ago. And I said to my friend, you know, I think there's probably a purpose for that. And Sherry came to me after the service and told me what that purpose was. You know, Sherry lives in that world, the medical world. The purpose for the spleen is to help prevent infection. And you say, well, my spleen must not be working very well. If you're alive, it is. The fact that you have an infection is a part of the fall, but the reality that you haven't died from an infection is many times because your spleen has done its work. In the same way, your thumb does its work, your hand does its work, your eyes do your work, and as we age, we begin to see that those parts do their work less and less effectively, and so uh, you're nearer death than you were the day you were born, and it shows. So you need help in the interdependence of your physical body. But another way to look at that, and I think we should, is that as we age, we need further help from the spiritual body. We are to consider those who have aged to be of greater honor. And as we do that, the Lord blesses us with their wisdom passed on to us. Letter B, you need the body not only because no body part can survive without the body, but you need the body because this is God's design and his doing. You say, wait a minute, that was point B from last week. Yeah, it's the same this week. Paul repeats it. Paul gives us the same reality again in verses 22 through 24. He says, on the contrary, right? On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Now, friends, this part of this message is so phenomenally important for those of you who may never have any kind of involvement that shows up in front of the rest of the body in any kind of presentable way. It's crucial for you to understand not only that you need the body, but in a sense, the body needs you in this point as well. I talked about it last week, but here Paul says it differently. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. 
But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. What in the world does all this mean? Sometimes it's easy for you to think of those less presentable parts, those ones that aren't intended to be used for presentation, as being less significant and less honorable. Now, in terms of the human body, think of this as your internal organs. How many of you want to go a day without your kidneys? What about your liver? So, you don't walk around showing people, hey, <laughs> I had plastic surgery on my kidneys. Let me show you how young I look now. Right? When's the last time you heard somebody brag about you know, having surgery on their, their heart and how much better it looks? No. These parts are less presentable. But friends, let me tell you with full confidence, they are actually more necessary. You can survive without your mouth. You can survive without your ears, your nose, your eyes. You can't survive without your heart. But we, on the other hand, especially in our culture, tend to look at the more presentable parts. And we get it upside down. Oh, Church would never survive without the preacher. It's not true. It would limp. I know plenty of churches who have made it through a period of time without a pastor. But you will not make it through without the fundamental administration of the church that is necessary for others to be involved in. By the way, I'm not going anywhere. As far as I know. This is God's design it's his doing, and in that it is God's design and his doing, you can trust it. So what do we look at? We look at the details of how it works. We look at the details of how it works. Our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. You understand that? You don't try to get a tan on your kidneys. You're not trying to show off your kidneys. Those parts are more modest. They're more to be covered The presentable parts don't require that. But God, listen, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked the presentation. It's God's design. Romans 12, verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So all parts being used, all in recognition of the fact that God has determined who the members would be and He has determined what giftedness they would have and how it would work itself out in the church. And we've been given, as you know, much latitude, which is why you have that insert in your bulletin, which I'm going to eventually get to this morning. Verse 18, as you remember from last week, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. You know, you don't take that spiritual gifts test and and create your own kind of kaleidoscope of giftedness and say, this is how I'm going to do it. No, you trust, you pray, you seek counsel, you serve, you experiment, you look for opportunities, and as you do that, God eventually kind of allows you and even guides you into kind of seeding in to faithful, effective, joyous activity or service in the body of Christ. And when you find yourself feeling like a fish out of water, maybe you are. If you've been trying to serve in a particular way and it's just not working, No one's coming to you saying, thank you so much for how you served in that way. It was was so helpful. Or maybe this. Maybe they come and say, you know, thank you for substituting for whoever that role is for more permanently. Uh, I've done that. I used to lead the music. It's not my giftedness. But I'll do it. If I have to do that, I'd love to do that. I waited for, for Brad to show up and actually do it well. So... That may be where you are right now. You may be in a season like that eventually. You don't know. But the reality is God has activity for you. He has service for you. You've got to be faithful and joyous about figuring that out. Why? Well, in this case, because you need the body. (laughs) You need the body. And you need to be serving in the body. That's how much you need the body. You need to be involved with the body. Why? Because when you serve, you are served. 
When you serve the body, you are building up the body, and therefore the body's service to you helps you be built up. And ultimately, you give that back to the body. You remember from verse 11 last week, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. Just as He, God, the Holy Spirit, not it, by the way, He, God, the person of God, the third person of the Trinity, has distributed these gifts. He's done it individually, just as He wills. So you need the body in order for that giftedness to be given back to you. In other words, each member of the body to whom the Holy Spirit has distributed giftedness is given that giftedness. He or she, the individuals in the body of Christ, are given that giftedness so as to serve you. And you need that. You cannot survive without that. And you know that by experience. And I'm giving you the theology from the scripture of that today. Back to Hebrews 2, verse 3. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Letter C. You need the body because a united body nurtures its suffering members. If I were to ask for a show of hands, how many of you have never suffered? None of you would raise your hand. You've suffered, no matter your age. You've experienced trials, and we see well within God's sovereignty that trials have their specific purpose. Trials are for the production of maturity in you. Without any kind of adversity in life, you'd think everything was great, and truly, you'd, in, at least in your mind, you'd think you'd have no need to trust him. You'd think you'd have no need to lean on him, to look to him. You'd think you'd have no need to look to the body and lean on the body. So trials lead to that. The reality is, is that well within God's sovereignty, your suffering plays a significant role in your life. Listen to this from verse 25 that there may be no division in the body. This is where I get that section in your so that statement, that there will be no division in our church. Are you experiencing division with another part in the body, whether it's a family member, a spouse, one of your children, maybe one of your parents, or somebody else in the body? It need not be that way. It must not be that way. Don't believe the lie that that's just how it works. It shouldn't that work. It shouldn't work that way. It shouldn't work in such a way that there is always some division. Why can't we be different as a local church? Why can't we, as the Anchor Bible Church, with each individual member of the body being faithful to Christ, faithful to the church, serving one another, even in the form of love, by speaking the truth? Speaking the truth in love. It's a crucial part. Sometimes some people see that as a suffering. Maybe sometimes it is. But either way, it's necessary. You won't find me candy-coating your sin or mine. But in the moment that you start whitewashing your sin, especially when someone comes to you to address it, and maybe you even turn the tables on them, well, let me tell you some things about you. You have immediately cultivated the division that you probably started. But if you're willing to be a faithful part of the body of Christ, you will recognize from the message two weeks ago, Proverbs 28, verse 13, that when someone comes to you, and Proverbs 27, you remember? Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You, don't, you want somebody that's just always kissing you? You want somebody that's, somebody that's always just telling you things that are positive? That's all they ever tell you? But they never provide the wounds of faithful friendship? Is that what you want? You'll never grow. You'll never grow. You'll settle into the belief that comes from a willingness to give yourself the benefit of the doubt in every case. You'll never grow. You'll never overcome sin. And you'll be frustrated and depressed and discouraged the rest of your life. And you really ought to question your faith. But if you're willing to receive that, you recognize that the body helps the body. The body serves the body. And the body many times serves the body by dealing with imperfections in the body that must be addressed. A united body nurtures its suffering members. And friends, listen. Now, we don't think of it this way often. 
that many times that suffering is self-inflicted because of sin. Go to James 5. Remember James 5? What's the purpose of what's going on in James 5? We confess our sins one to another, and then we go to leadership for prayer. And that's not some generic issue regarding illness and some generic issue regarding prayer. The whole point of what's going on there is that there are people who are in sin and some have died. Same as 1 Corinthians 11. And sin will kill you. It will, it will, of course, kill you spiritually, but in some cases it will, in fact, kill you physically. It's still happening. I've never in my life felt like looking at a situation I can say, that's a situation where someone died because of their sin. I don't feel like I have that ability. I don't think you do either. But I guarantee you it's happening. James 5 is still very applicable today. 1 Corinthians 11 is still very applicable today. It's one of the reasons we have the Lord's table, so that the body would be purified and people won't die as a result of their sin. I think we think of that as an Old Testament perspective, especially with Achan. God killed Achan, killed his family. So that was all Old Testament. You remember Acts 5? Ananias and Sapphira. He died. Three hours later, she died. And they didn't just die by default. They didn't trip and fall. They didn't hit their head, develop an aneurysm, and die three weeks later. God killed them. He killed them because they lied to him in the presence of of men. Back to verses 25 through 27 here. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Friends, if you're in sin, and I'm not suggesting anyone is, but if you are, if you ever have been, and no one confronted you about your sin, and your sin was relatively obvious, they did not care for you, at least in practical terms. They may have been struggling with how to approach you and because maybe you're so unapproachable they never did it or maybe because they so fear you for whatever reason they never did it but that was not practical care if someone has recently come to you with regard to sin it's because they care for you that's how division is eliminated that's how it's addressed the united body nurtures its suffering members and many times that suffering is self-inflicted It's brought on by embitteredness or some kind of willingness to salve the conscience, to say no to the conscience. You know know what you're doing is wrong. You're looking at something you shouldn't be. You're thinking thoughts you shouldn't be. You're saying things about people that you shouldn't be. And what are you doing? You're salving your conscience. And what do you typically do? You go to someone who's going to coach you through that. You go to someone who's going to appease you in that. You go to someone who's going to join you in that. Misery loves company. What you should do is, just as one dear soul in our church came to me yesterday and said, I need to tell you some things. Doesn't that have to be me? Doesn't it need to be me? I'm not a priest. It needs to be the body. We need to confess our sins one to another. If you found yourself imprisoned in your own sin, like Proverbs 15 suggests, entangled in the cords of your own sin, or Proverbs 5 actually, you found yourself in that mode. You're suffering. But friends, many cases, in many, in many cases, it's self-inflicted. And so what does the body, body do there? The body cares for that member by drawing attention to the problem. We've got a lot of Band-Aids in our house. A lot of used Band-Aids. Uh, you know, on bodies, right? Why do we put them there? Well, in some cases, because they think it's cool. You know, the two-year-old, he thinks it's cool. I need a Band-Aid, Daddy. Why? I need a Band-Aid. What do you mean, Why? Mandate. But in other cases, it actually does something. But what did we have to do before we got to the Band-Aid? Now, in my first few years of fatherhood, I had this very specific ritualistic practice. It involved soap, very warm water, and hydrogen peroxide. And no matter what size the wound, it got cleansed with hydrogen peroxide. We had a lot of tears uh, through that process. I, I'm probably a little less ritualistic these days because, you know, eventually with a second kid, third kid, fourth kid, you know, pretty soon you're saying, ah, put it on yourself. <laughs> but in that process, my goal, my desire, I remember the first time Dawson, my oldest child, had a, a wound significant enough that he was just a mess, you know, weeping and wailing. And, and I'm thinking, I'm not a doctor, <laughs> but I can handle this. He had skinned both of his toes, both of his big toes, terribly on the concrete. 
And so I've got him sitting up there in the sink, you know, got his feet in the sink, and we're washing it off, and he's screaming, Kimberly's holding him, you know. And we got through it, but not without drawing attention to the problem. What if I had, what if I had said, oh, bud, you know, come on. You're a Barnett. Just hang in there. Just be tough. You know, you're going to be a linebacker one day. It's all cool. Well, I do that sometimes, but not, not usually. You know, in this case, no. I mean, he was bleeding. Sometimes you're bleeding spiritually and you want to pretend you're not. You want everybody to leave you alone. Why? It's pride. I don't have to tell you that. Verse 26. If one member suffers, what? If one member suffers, what? Oh, so you did memorize it. Good. All suffer, what? What's the adverb? Together. Not five of us suffer together, but by default, by nature, by necessity. If one member is suffering, if the hand suffers, if you have a broken arm, you're not walking around going, hey, I feel great today. The rest of my body's fine. I got this broken arm. But in fact, I just broke it like 30 seconds ago. It's great. Everything else in my body is fine. No, you're focusing on the arm and it hurts and your whole body hurts. Your head hurts. You can't breathe for a little bit. The whole body suffers. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And at the same time, the next logical step in what happens many times in a member's life is that honor is bestowed. You ever experienced that? You ever experienced that? You go to someone, you say, listen, it's just so hard for me. I love you. And because I love you, I think I need to tell you some things. And and you get this this overjoyed gratitude that says, thank you for doing what was hard. Thank you for speaking the truth and love to me. I want to know more about this. And what's your immediate response? What's your immediate, nearly uncontrollable response? You want to do everything you can to shower that person with honor. Because it makes sense to do so. The person's worthy of honor. So what do you do together? What do you do together in that moment? It's a question. You rejoice. You rejoice. On the other hand, you get this, you know, you get the hand. It's the vernacular today. You get the hand. Oh, sure, thanks. Sure. I'll think about what you got to say. You know, can we talk about something else? There's no honor in that. But what is there in that? There's the perpetuation of suffering. So what happens? We continue to suffer together. Could it be nipped in the bud? In many senses, in many ways, it's dependent upon the response of the suffering member. Not ultimately dependent upon the response of the suffering member because what happens ultimately if that member continues to give us the hand, what does that mean? Not a member. He's not part of the body. It's a foreign object. But the member proves to be a member by at least ultimately, at least eventually, although there might be some hard-heartedness. The powerful teaching of the Word of God under the dominion of the Holy Spirit brings about softness of the heart. A willingness to counsel with the use of the Word of God brings about softness of the heart. Maybe initially it doesn't go so well, but eventually, you know, there's thought and there's prayer on both parties. The body is praying and the softness and the healing, really, of that member comes about. And so what happens? We rejoice in the honor of that individual who responds with gratitude and truly with spiritual healing. But the person who digs his heels in, he draws a line in the sand and says, you don't mess with my life. It's my life. Right. Because it's not part of the body. It's his own thing. He's got his own life. He's got his own body. He's doing whatever. The Bible says he's a child of Satan. If he doesn't eventually come around and acknowledge that the body cares for him, the united body nurtures its suffering members. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. That's the point. That's the point. Not that you're individual members. The point is that you are members of it perfectly flows quite well with the rest of the passage. You're members of it. 
You're not autonomous. You can't do this on your own. You certainly can't do it as a family. You need the body. A doctor uh, from whom I gleaned a lot of research for last week's message and, and some for what I'm about to tell you said these things. Your cells are the basic living units that make up your body. Your cells are the basic living units that make up your body. Groups of cells come together to form specialized tissues. Okay, So you have cells that make up the life of the body. Uh, the cells then are grouped together in groups. Uh, that's called tissue, specialized tissues. Groups of tissues then come together to form your organs. So your organs are made up of these different types and varying sizes and degrees of tissues. So you have organs. The bird's eye view of your physical makeup is important because it highlights the following point. You ready? The bird's eye view, looking at the overall picture, at the concept of the body or the system of the body and how it's made up of cells and then tissues and then organs. The bird's eye view is important because it reveals this. The health of every organ in your body is determined by the health of the cells that make up your organs. You need the body, the body needs you. He goes on to say, when the majority of cells that make up any organ in your body are healthy, that organ is likely to be healthy. The converse is true as well. When most of the cells that make up one of your organs are dysfunctional or diseased, that organ is likely to be dysfunctional. We have no problem perceiving dysfunction. Many times what we have a problem doing is addressing why that dysfunction exists. And in the human body, dysfunction exists because there is a problem with the health of the cells. And if we don't address it, that dysfunction will become the norm. And pretty soon we're nothing more than an entertainment mecca. Just providing a place for social interaction. Given all of the above, this doctor goes on to say, given all of the above, it makes sense then that taking care of your organs requires that you take care of your cells. There's no place for even a hint or a shadow of discord or disunity in the body of Christ amongst the most seemingly insignificant cell. There's no place for it. No place for it. It's got to be addressed. And you, of course, have the greatest greatest vantage point in the corners of your own heart with regard to where there's a problem in a particular cell. This involves a lot of things. Involves counsel. Involves prayer. Certainly involves time in each other's lives. It's why we have Iron Men. It's why we have WOW. It's why we have a meal coming up together next week. It's why some of you spend time together ministering to each other. You provide opportunities for members within the body to serve you. And by so doing, believe it or not, you're serving them. When someone comes to us as a family and says, hey, can you help us with this? We rejoice because that person deems us acceptable to to do whatever that is. And many times we say, wow, we're kind of overloaded, but you know, we'll give it a go. We'll see what we can do. Maybe we'll get some help. And you do the same. You do the same thing. And by so doing, you're ministering to that person as you allow them to minister to you. Email these days, Facebook, Twitter, text messaging. They may have their place in helpful communication, but they do not replace legitimate, honorable, caring actions in each other's lives. You can't serve through the Internet, not really. Not really, not ultimately. Provide a letter or an email, some kind thought. You know, I like texting. I think it's great. I love it. But it's not a relationship basis. Compliments relationships. Compliment it. But you can't have a relationship over the airways. You've got to be involved in people's lives. I have a picture of Chang Po Yu. I have a picture of him. The guy whose arm was ripped off by the crocodile. I've got the picture of the arm in the crocodile's mouth. It's, it's as gory as what you're picturing, believe me. But I have another picture of him. He's sitting in a hospital room waving at the camera with his other arm. Having undergone seven hours of surgery for the reattachment of the injured arm. And he's waving and he's smiling because he's going to be able 
to use this arm. Somehow, doctors reattached it, reconnected the nerves, the tendons, all those things, so that he could reuse it. He's smiling, he's waving, and to this day, he's reportedly doing well. Not so much with the crocodile. He has been incarcerated for armed robbery. <laughs> what? I don't think in two years I've ever done that. Isn't that amazing, though? There's someone who's completely detached. It's completely detached from the body. You know, maybe they're involved in some activities. Maybe they come here and there. Maybe they serve, do stuff, get involved. But, but they're really detached. And then there's that person that's physically detached. You know, you don't see them for whatever. Weeks, months. And then the body nurtures the body. The body nurtures the suffering. And, and we ask questions and we say, hey, you know, what's going on? You know, how can we serve you? What happened? What's going on? Well, I'm suffering, you know. I don't think anybody likes me. I, I never felt like I fit in. Oh, well, let's, let's figure that out. Let's talk about that. Let's work through that. And there's a reattachment. And there's use. You know, there's productivity. As, as Peter says, you don't want to be useless. You don't want to be unproductive. And how does that happen? How does, how does a member of the body who appeared to not be a member, because that happens, right? Someone appears to not be a member because they act like they're not a member. But then there's this nurturing effect, knowing that person's suffering, even if it's self-inflicted. Christ, Christ had compassion upon the multitudes because they deserved it, right? This, this means no, this means yes. And you should be doing this. No, because he had compassion. He didn't look at them and say, you know, you're a mess, therefore you're not on my, you're not on my team. His compassion was extended because he was compassionate. Our compassion is not reserved for the faithful. Our compassion is reserved for the body of Christ. It's reserved for the body of Christ. So I don't think we ought to have a cookie-cutter mindset about everyone's involvement in the body. Well, you know, compared to you, this guy's doing a whole lot more. There was a gal in our church in Lancaster years ago. Terry was her name. She had four boys. She had four boys. Uh, her husband had left her and was trying to raise these boys on her own. I think there was some shared responsibility between the two parents, but she was really the one doing the parenting. And one of her boys was severely mentally retarded. I mean severely, such that he was in an institution. And occasionally she would bring him to church, and it was just a scene. You know, throwing up his hands and just you know, yelling. He had no idea what he was doing. I didn't know that. I, I, I was first there, and I said, hey, to the pastor, I said, how come we don't see Terry very often? Well, let me tell you about her life. And he told me about her life, and then I began to, you know, she actually worked for me. I was the principal of school. She was a teacher, and I began to see what was going on in her life. And so we just, we just said, you know, Terry, praise God you're ever here at all. Praise God that you ever have the time and the ability to do anything. And so let us help you with that. She said that's the first time anybody's ever even mentioned such a thing. She always felt inadequate, unhelpful, uninvolved, unfaithful because she couldn't be there every Sunday when she had all this going on in her life. So what we're not saying is this is the template. Now you've got to plug in exactly to that template. What we're saying is this is what the scripture says. So insofar as how you trusting the Lord under the care and nurture of spiritual leadership, submitting one to another, that passage is not just for members with regard to the leadership, it's members with each other, all of us, me submitting to you, you submitting to each other, all of us submitting to each other, insofar as that's really how the body works, the body should nurture the suffering members to the end that we can confidently say that the body is nurturing its suffering members genuinely, joyously, faithfully, effectively, and the result is that we all realize that we need the body and the body needs us and there's no division and we all care for each other. It's kind of simple on paper. But when it gets messy is when one person really starts drinking from the fountain of pride. That's unfortunately where things go wrong. Now, how does this work in the theological underbelly of reality? I'll give you three points here. Three points. How does this work? Number one, God the Father chose you in eternity past. You might not like that, theology, but that pervades the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. 
God chose you in eternity past, and I'll show you one or a couple of passages where we where we know that to be the case. In fact, I'll go ahead and do that right now, and I'll, I'll give you the other two points. Ephesians 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And for those of you who ever ever heard this passage twisted into the idea that God looked down the corridors of time and saw who would choose him and he then chose them, you've been lied to. Because there is nothing in this text or in Romans 9 or in anywhere else that indicates anything like that. Foreknowledge always is applied to people, not activity. Foreknowledge in the scripture is always applied to people, not their activity. So when God foreknew you, he knew you experientially. He knew you intimately. The same word is used in Matthew 7 where Jesus says, Turn away from me, for I never gnosko you. It's the term of intimate knowledge. I never knew you in the way that Romans 9, I knew those whom I forechose. In the same way, in Acts 2, and Eric read this to you this morning, Acts 2, verses 23 and 24, you may have missed this as you were read this this morning, but in verse 23, this man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And then over in chapter 4 of Acts, verse 27, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you did anoint, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. God predestined those whom he will save and he predestined that Christ would die for them. There's no way around this. And this really is the fundamental precept behind which we believe what we believe about the body. So how does this concept of the body work? God chose you in eternity past if you are to be part of the body. Point number two, God the Son died and rose for you 2,000 years ago. God the Son died and rose for you 2,000 years ago. In Romans 6, verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ took place 2,000 years ago as a direct result of what God determined to happen in eternity past. So point number two, God the Son died and rose for you 2,000 years ago. Point number three, God the Spirit indwells you today. God the Spirit indwells you today. As you know from our text in 1 Corinthians 12, God the Spirit is the one who indwells the entire body. There is one Spirit, many gifts, many manifestations of how the Spirit works, but one Spirit. And therefore, we not only have the ability, but the necessity to have unity. From Ephesians 4, we have the concept of the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Who doesn't want peace? 
The bond of peace is rooted in the unity of the Spirit. The Spirit of God that indwells me is the Spirit of God that indwells you. Therefore, we can agree. And we ought not to start any theological endeavor by saying, well, let's just agree to disagree. That's a commitment to failure right from the beginning. How about saying, let's look at what the Spirit has said and make a valiant effort to agree with that. That's what we ought to be saying. God the Spirit indwells you today. You remember from Galatians 5, our study over a period of about a year, Galatians 5.25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul indicates there, as well as in Romans 7 and 8, that the Spirit of God indwells every believer. He is not absent. He is never absent. He is always indwelling you. He never leaves you. You, on the other hand, can either walk by the Spirit or not walk by the Spirit. You can either be filled with the Spirit or not be filled with the Spirit. God has given that into your hands. And you are blessed to be able to do that along with a body who wants to do that. But insofar as you choose to not walk by the Spirit, the body is not walking by the Spirit. It really, in many senses, is a collective effort. Got some questions for you. Number one, are you devoted to one local body? Are you devoted to one local body? You say, gee, it's my first day here. Well, so obviously you're trying to figure out what local body to be devoted to. Good for you. Maybe you've been here two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. You're trying to determine where God would have you faithfully, joyously, effectively serve. Good for you. We want to help you with that. But it's got to be one local body. There's no such thing in the New Testament as multiple church service. You say, what about Paul? And then, you know, every time I address this, I ask that question. What about Paul? Paul was planting churches. He would serve there for a while. He would establish elders who would be faithful. They would shepherd the flock. He would move on. And in many cases, he would return either by letter or by his presence or both to check up on how things were going. And he was planting churches. He would serve in one local body for a necessary period to build that body up. Number two, what is your role in that local body? Now, let me get real specific with you here and say, If you're saying, well, I don't have a role, then you're not really involved in that local body. Enough said. I mean, that's kind of easy, right? Might be a little offensive, but it's true, and you get that. So you say, well, I want to be involved. Look at the insert. That insert's for you. And that by no means is a comprehensive list of ministry opportunities that we have, but it is a list. It's a place to start. Number three, is there anything keeping you from being effective? Is there anything keeping you from being effective? Are you embittered towards someone? Are you experiencing disunity? Are you the cause of that disunity or discord? Is there anything keeping you from being effective? Number four, how are you stimulating spiritual growth in the body? How are you personally involved in the stimulation of body health? i got a bunch of questions here. You're not going to get them all down, I don't think. But number five, are, are you nurturing unity by honoring others? Do you speak about others with honor? Do you think about them with honor? Are you nurturing unity in that way? Here, here's a good one. Is your participation in the local body resulting in the birth and growth of new members? Now, you know this. I've said this many times, and I'll always say it. I'm the, I'm the worst recruiter for our church, uh, and, and, and you are not a recruiter, nor am I. We're not talking about filling empty chairs. What we're talking about is living an evangelistic life, truly being in love with Christ, devoted to the body, and therefore living your life in such a way that people would ask, 1 Peter three fifteen, setting Christ apart in your hearts, being prepared To give a defense, that's where we get the word apologetics from the Greek term apologia, prepared to give a defense. Apologia is transferred there as defense. It's a defense of the faith. Prepared to give a defense for the hope that is within you to everyone who asks. Why would anyone ask? Would they? See, that's what it means to be faithfully involved in such a way that new members are being born, they're being adopted into the family, and in so doing, the body grows in God's timing. That's God's work to produce the birth and the growth. But our role is to be a faithful vessel by which that happens. 
Number eight, what are you doing to reconnect detached members? You willing to lay the relationship on the line? You willing to love that person's soul more than you love the friendship? To bring some problem to that person's attention? It's not just my role. It's your role. Is your faithfulness resulting in the faithfulness of other members? Look around. Look around in your life. Are people becoming increasingly faithful as a result of your faithfulness? Are you cultivating or nurturing faithfulness? How about this? How many people can you call any time of day or night for help? Anytime. Day or night. How about the reverse? How many people can call you anytime? Day or night. No matter what the issue, no matter what the problem. How does this work at the anchor? Three ways. Ironman, wow, and soon to come, family groups. Not perfect. You got to do something. Got to have a plan. Got to do something. That's what we're doing. We hope the Lord's blessing it. I think he is. I produced this list yesterday in a matter of about 10 minutes, and so I'm sure it's highly inadequate and maybe even inaccurate in some ways, but I wanted to at least get the pump primed in your heart. You might look at this list and say, wait a minute, I'm doing some of this stuff. Are you going to replace me? <laughs> no. But you do have two kidneys, right? Maybe you, maybe you need a partner in whatever you're doing. You might look at that and say, you know, I could do that. I could do that. Well, in some things, just start doing it. But in other things, you know, you probably need to talk to somebody about developing some teamwork with someone. And as I said, this is, this is not comprehensive. This is just a primer. It's just a way for us to get started. Start thinking about how the Lord would use you and me joyously, faithfully, and effectively for the unity of the body that we would care for one another. Father, we rejoice because we believe you are doing this in us. and that You have been kind and gracious. and You even recently have, have brought to us people of like mind who not only understand but long to better understand what it is to be faithfully, joyously, effectively involved in the body of Christ. Lord, on a day when there is time and activity set aside for celebrating fathers, we pray that this message from your word would genuinely honor fathers who are leading their families to understand the necessity of faithful involvement in the body of Christ. Men, who are setting the standard even, if not just setting an example for others to understand what it is to help people understand that they need the body, that the body needs them. Lord, I pray that every man in our church would see this as a moment of encouragement, a moment of being strengthened, built up, so as to better understand how they can leave a lasting mark on the world through their family. May it be that the families within our church would be so highly valued by the men who lead them that they would be willing to regularly examine their devotion to Christ, their devotion to one local body, and their devotion to seeing new members born into the body of Christ so that we would exalt Christ, we would edify the saints, and we would evangelize the lost. Lord, I thank you for the men who so faithfully and willingly and sacrificially serve me in my efforts to minister to the body. I thank you for every man in our church, not simply those who have biological children, but particularly the manner by which they pursue faithfulness in being spiritual fathers. I know there are men who who have no idea what it's like to have a, a godly earthly father, and I am in that category. And so, Lord, I pray that for those of us who fall into that category, that we would long to be men whose sons and daughters would look at and say, that's a real man. It's a man whose humility and strength are comprised in his life in such a way that the body of Christ experiences unity because of his willingness to nurture the suffering, not just those in our biological family, but those in the spiritual family of God. What would make us different Make us different, not different from the scripture, but different from the casual, cultural, seeming Christianity that 
that draws people into some sort of display of entertainment and leaves them high and dry with nothing really to hang on to eternally. We want not to be like that. And if we've ever had a moment of heading in that direction, Father, then give us the wisdom and the grace to respond to it and handle it with integrity and honesty. Lord, help us not to be proud because we're different, if we in fact are, but help us to be grateful because you've moved on our hearts to be devoted to the Scripture. May we be known in our community as a church with men who are fathers faithful to their families, but fathers faithful to those in the church, young men who don't have fathers. We certainly have significant opportunity with children who fall into the category of orphan because their father has left, he's died, he's never involved. We have women who are trying to be godly, realizing that their role in the family is not to lead the family, but to allow the church to be the surrogate for a time, willing to pray and trust and lean on you for spiritual fatherhood in those young children's lives. Thank you for you're doing a restorative work in families in our church, and you're doing that through men who are willing to say, I don't totally understand all this, but I want to. I want to be faithful. I want to be a father whose life is effective not only in his children's lives but in the lives of others who are without fathers. God, you've blessed us because you've given us a clear and rich devotion to the mandate in the scripture and we see it to be clear. It's not unclear. But many times it's, it's a matter of helplessness when we find ourselves at the doorstep of failure. May it be that the body would strengthen and encourage the members who feel that way by nurturing them through their suffering. God, we ask that you would do this work for the unity of the body, that we would, in fact, care for one another. As we sing to you now, help us not to forget these important truths. Amen.